Good day. We're back again with another episode of the Rabbit Society podcast. First of all, I would like to apologise. There was no episode last week. It was actually the first episode we've missed, the first week we've missed. Now, I could give you, you know, the reasons why, but I'm not going to bore you with excuses. I would like to say that I have recorded a doubly long episode uh, that is set to come out next week, so hopefully that should make up for some lost time. As for this week, uh, it was my pleasure to be able to talk with Stephen Ormondy, an Australian artist who, after graduating in 1985 from the University of New South Wales, went on to not only co-create a global jewellery brand called Dinosaur Designs, uh, but actually went and forged his own career, which spanned across the world of design and fine art, with shows across multiple cities in Australia, New York, Japan, Singapore. He has one in Paris at the moment, I do believe. Uh, all in all, it was a very interesting conversation. If you want to support him, then make sure you head over to the Rhodes Art Gallery here in London. Uh, He's got a show in Transitive that will be running until the 17th of October, and I would recommend you paying a visit. If you would like to support us, then all you've got to do is head over to therabbitsociety.com forward slash podcast, where you can use any of our sponsored links to shop the brands you love, Nike, Size, brands you don't love, Foot Asylum. Um, So enjoy. I I guess we should just um, jump straight into it. Okay. Uh, one one question that I wanted to start with was obviously this is going to be a podcast. A lot of people are going to be listening to this. So, for those who haven't seen your work yet, how how would you describe it in terms of just the aesthetic or the, the visuals? I, you know, it, it my work is is abstract fundamentally. So it is born of my subconscious mind. So I mean, it's 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 strong in color. It's strong in line. It's um, it's all about positive and negative space, but nothing really owning it in any particular way. There's a play between the two. So mm. you would say chroma relationships are very, very strong in my work. Um, mm. I work mostly in tertiary tertiary colours. Um, even, even when I use a bright poppy colour, there's normally at least a touch of black or a touch of a brown or an umber. Something that just knocks it off its usual, you know, purity, which I like to play around with, you know, colours in that respect. Mm. It almost seems like instead of going fully in one direction, you like to balance everything that you're doing out. There's, you know, for a bit of this, you have a bit of that. Yeah, it is a juggling. It is, yeah, I, I think my work is a juggling act and it's exploring all those those areas where um, just relationships, especially chroma relationships and tone, that's the one thing that um, you have to pay attention to because if you say to someone blue, I mean, the, the tonal difference is infinite. There's so many mm. blues, there's so many tonal and chroma changes within blue. So, yeah, colour colour is a, a life of exploring really. So you've been uh, a fully, I guess, I don't know if qualified is the right word, but uh, your career started in 1985, correct me if I'm wrong, and did you straight away get into this style or is this something that you had to slowly head towards? Um, I think like all, all creative languages, um, it's, a, it's a slow progression. It starts, I, you know, I started painting, I think seriously when I got to art school. Up until then, um, I was very serious about it, but purely it was enjoyable. But I was determined to get to art school. So senior school is where... I think you start to take it seriously and people realise that, oh, you're into art, you know, oh, mm. oh you, like, you like doing that. 
So um, it's something that I didn't really talk to anyone about because I didn't have anyone to talk to, um, mm. you know. And then I got to art school and that's when I discovered, you know, people like me yeah. <laughs> who were obsessed. I imagine that was refreshing. Yeah, it's like finding your tribe. All of a sudden you walk in and the enthusiasm for art is on everyone's lips. Everyone's into it. Mm. We're at school. It's a bit of a you know, a bit of a bludge, a bit of a fun, oh, you know, an art class. Do you think there's a way that teachers can start teaching that will actually increase the engagement of those who may not be naturally talented or naturally inclined to find an interest in that subject? Yeah, I think, well, it's one of those things, it's all about setup from the start. And I think, um, you know, it's about engagement and it, it comes back to the teacher getting everyone's attention. It's been a long time since I've been at school, so that may well have changed um, and there may have been a lot of focus on that. But I do, mm. yeah, it really was a constant struggle purely because that sense that, and it's quite often, you know, it came from home, you know, whether the parents were interested in art or they just considered it, you know, a bit of, a bit of light entertainment because I remember at school I had to get a permission note from my parents that I could take art as an elective, as a serious subject. And <laughs> and, and um, jokingly I said, and would you like one for maths, sir? And she seen the look in his face. Was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he probably wasn't too happy about that. No. But I don't know. Yeah, what could they do? What could they do? It, it is difficult. It is difficult. I can imagine such a range of kids and personalities. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that takes that's a whole um, four years of, of learning at university to, to deal with yeah. that. I think. <laughs> so when you when you got to art school, uh, did you go straight into practicing? Obviously, you're going to have to practice different styles of art. But did you, in your own time, focus on this uh, polychromatism? Is that the the style that you've yeah yeah that would be that would be right color has been fundamental shape and line is fundamental um i think i've changed in that i've really flattened the surface um of what i'm doing i've i've literally taken all the detail from mm. um the works i initially uh created at art school which was very they were very painterly but um not too dissimilar to where i'm at in some respects but completely different in others. So, mm. yeah, I, I think it's been a big progression. Was there any particular reason for reducing that detail? Um, yeah, just a simplification, I think, just a, a, a sort of um, coming back to what really excited me, especially in 20th century um, contemporary painting. And mm. there's a few artists in mind, but one in particular that I'm very drawn to a British artist by the name of Victor Passmore, um, mm. and his work is very, very, you know, his books are strong in my library, and and I've loved what he has done. Um, yeah, beautiful works. So, yeah, that would be that, and you know, what came from Calder's studio, and what came from Picasso and Matisse. I, I'm very sort of interested in that um, those those artists that picked up from the initial abstraction pioneers and mm. almost, you know, those guys were the ice cutters and then along came the guys behind it and they just played in that space and had so much freedom. Yeah, so very influenced by that. 
it's it's nice being able to listen to someone speak so passionately about contemporary art, given that often and I I can appreciate all kinds of art. I'm not too much of a of a picky viewer, but often you do hear this kind of slating towards these super expensive yet super contemporary art pieces where they might be selling for hundreds of millions. And people always do the classic line of, you know, well, I could have done that or my kid could have done that or, it's, you know, it's just this colour on this colour. How do you kind of justify that or how would you approach uh, someone who thinks that way and explain this whole kind of process behind it and, and the real inspirations? Yeah, very hard to justify art, market and price because they're forces that are a long way away from, you know, creative practice mm. and, and at what an artist is interested in. It's um, that's a whole world that has just exploded um, mm. in such a spectacular fashion. But when you get back to the the artist, and the artist is really interested in in making things that excite them, I think that's that's number one. It's about self satisfaction. I'm really happy with this as an idea, mm. and um, that's what um, I think is at the basis of it. The rest is you know, dealers, good dealers picking up, um, promoting, and then the business kind of takes over yeah. after the creative moment. So it's almost as if the artist is, you know, can be swept up in it, but I don't think that is initial intention. Initial intention of of most artists is just to do things that excite them and, and explore possibilities. If you are successful and you do manage to earn a living, then that just allows you to continue the search and the the exploration. You know, it it's like the the grease that um, keeps the wheels turning. But um, yeah, like many things in in our modern world, things get twisted, turned, blown up, expanded in ways we never we never thought possible. Mm. You know. It, Patronage has always been very, very prominent in art and inevitably has controlled what is produced, very much so if you, you know, cut back through history. Um, patronage is king and possibly still is, um, although you feel there is a, a fair bit more freedom. But mm. um, you can't justify Some people you just, you can't justify it. Why something yeah, is a no, hundred million, and why why something else isn't? Um, it it's just yeah, market. That makes sense. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's powers above the artist. Yeah, way. and it, it's almost um, there's almost no need for justification. I just think it just is. It just happens, and you know, mm. you're either on board or you're not. You know, most people who are buying at those auctions, spending the money, love it, and they're into it. Mm. And it's as simple as that. Okay, I um, I w- kind of wanted to change direction slightly by just asking, and obviously a lot of the audience that listen to this are relatively young. So for those who may be interested in going into art as a career, or maybe they're even just interested in, you know, picking up a paintbrush at home and just doing it for for their own personal sake, what's your advice to kind of stepping into that world and embracing it? Yeah, I think, well, passion, funda- fundamental. You need to, I, I don't think any artist chooses to be an artist based on any other choice. Um, personally, 
I had no choice. I, I don't have a plan B for, for my life and my career and what I want to do. Art and being an artist was always going to be um, my focus and I would endeavour to support that should my work, you know, not be selling or I'd probably have a job and support, you know, my after-hours mm. art habit, which I would inevitably have no matter what. And I think being an so, artist is something that just it just gets you, and you just have to you have to go with it. You get it's just obsession. Mm. Well, I appreciate that that it's it's less of a choice, uh, and that if you if you haven't already chosen to go into it, you're likely not going to be doing it as a career. Yeah, not like you're, you're not toying. I don't think artists toy with the idea. Mm. Why, why not? I'm not? No, sure. that makes sense. You know, it's like sitting there looking at a career possibilities. And I'm sure any career counsellor would look at artists and just <laughs> put a line through that and say, "Are you kidding? Yeah. Do you want to earn some money? You know, do you want to? Do you want some sort of a, a lifestyle in this modern world?" So just cross well, that one out. If I were to maybe tweak it then and just say, for those who've already committed to doing it, they've committed to working and they're putting the hours in per day. What's that kind of next step in looking into making it a business without losing the passion? They've got no choice. It's like um, it's like the luge at the uh, Olympic Games. You're in the chute. The minute you're in, that's it. it <laughs> it's all the way to there's the no bottom or nothing. Back. Yeah, there's no turning back because I think you'd regret turning back. And yeah. we love process. The thing about being an artist is we really enjoy making. We love producing things, and that process, it's it's um, it really is like a it's a mantra. It's a it's a moment where you're just single focus and you're really thinking about your ideas and you're executing them, which can involve a lot of repetition. And, and in a sense, it, it, I think it helps us be who we are because we just love doing those things. We love making, mm. we love producing, we love you know, exhibiting. That's probably the hardest part of the whole process. It's the most yeah. confronting part. And I don't think I'm ever going to get used to to that. And, in fact, this show in London is the first show I've ever had where I haven't actually been in the gallery and had an opening. It's, um, it's quite mm. surreal that, to have it. Been like? It's been, um, on one hand, quite nice because you can sort of hide, you feel like you're hiding a bit. Yeah. Then I feel, because <laughs> a lot of artists, we like being in our studios on our own. We're very good mm. at isolation, you know. We're naturals. <laughs> we're naturals at that because we've got our we've got our activity, we've got our equipment, and we're ready to roll. And most of us wake up in the morning and can't wait to get into <laughs> yeah. that studio. It's a, it's and it's quite a good feeling to have that focus. But um, yeah, it's been a bit unnerving. I would have loved to have been over there, and and it's my first show with um, Rhodes Gallery, so. Yeah, I would have loved to have met the team there in person. You know, we've talked yeah. a lot, but yeah, nothing better than turning up and having a hug. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You can't beat that. So, yeah. have, have you found this this period particularly productive? Have you been putting out a lot yeah. of work? Yes, it's been particularly good. Um, I got a very large commission painting just at the beginning of the major lockdown, and got the canvas in the studio and all the equipment. So I just, yeah, went for it and got the job done, which was um, very good for me. 
um, that was good timing and record time. I can yeah, imagine. yeah, it was it was very fortuitous, and I've just been working ever since working on this show for for Rhodes, and um, I've also just been in the Paris Art Fair with my Paris gallery, which has been oh, very wow. successful. Again, I would have I would have been in Paris for that to show to have a show in that you know, that forum, that amazing exhibition mm. space in the heart of Paris. Oh, my God. I've only got photographs. I, I just, oh, that's... That is, that is a shame. That would have been, hopefully there'll be another opportunity sometime, yeah. I'm sure there will. I'm yeah. sure there will. If we were to just peek underneath the ex- exhibitions and, and have another look at the uh, the process behind your work again. Sure. Uh, something that we haven't touched on is your some of your 3D work and your sculptures. Yep. What's what's that difference like between working in a whole additional dimension? Sometimes I feel like I'm painting sculptures. That's another thing. When I'm when I'm working on my paintings and I work in mm. pencil and then chalk and then I work on the chroma relationships after that. So sculpture is sort of very big in what I'm I'm doing, whether I'm painting or whether I am actually sculpting. So they're born of just Again, this this desire to produce sculptural work—something that I just I just really wanted to do—and when I want to do something, I I tend to do it. I just go for it. I can't help myself. You know, I feel I'd feel a bit depressed if I wasn't doing something I wanted to do. So the sculptures have been really exciting because I, I came up with a a thing called an alphabet, my personal alphabet of shapes, and it was mm. born of the square because you know fundamentally, you know. The cube is the beginning of a sculptural work, whether it be stone or wood or whatever mm. an artist is about to carve into or clay you build up in a different way. But So I, I took this idea and I started deciding on, you know, the squares divided into three more squares. So I'd take a square up there and a square on the other side and I I'd, I'd had a set of rules to bring a square shape through that cube and come out on the other side and, and what happens in that process? How, how can I create that? Um, so I started playing around with clay and I came up with a series of shapes, which I then took to a friend of mine who's very good on computers and turned them into, um, 3D models. And then from that, what I've done with this group of shapes, I've created this sculptural um, concept then it's like um, collage I can play with these shapes and start to really form these interesting lines and 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 shapes based on the square bending twisting turning in different mm. ways and there's rhythms that I can bring them together and start to form sculptural works so not only is it very plastic in the studio I can also translate this across the world to manufacturers, say, I, I'm working on works in China where I've done most of my large sculptural works in situ, I can actually communicate very clearly exactly what how I want these sculptural works to, to look like. Mm. And it's been quite successful also in that it it's very rigid and yet I still manage to get an organic softness into it with the curbs. Yes. It's really interesting now because I'm... I'm I, lo- I love them. That's the thing that... that the what I love most in sculpture, you know, s- sculptors like um, Smith, um, Clement Meadmore, Henry Moore, uh, Barbara Hepworth—that beautiful organic nature of Hepworth, 
And I didn't want to lose that that possibility. But then I'm really influenced by Clement Meadmore and his his strictness of and um, Shahida, this strictness of of line and and edge. So I somehow managed to come up with something that satisfied me that I feel like I'm cutting a line between all these different sculptors because you need to, although I don't focus on originality, I think it's important to, to, to take an influence but try not to become a slave to it because it can, mm. be, it can be overpowering, especially when you're an art student looking at, say, you know, someone who's had a lifetime of working and then you look at your work and you think, why aren't, why aren't I that good? And mm. it's, you just haven't been at it for 80 years. It's a simple <laughs> help. The expectation that you have as an art student to paint a work that's, you know, as good as Picasso, it's like, forget it. You know, you're just, you're just not there yet because mm. it's, it's, a, it's a maturity. Art really is, it's all about maturing and, and staying with it. Do you think you ever actually get that satisfying moment where you can look back and, and fully appreciate your work, or do you always look at it through the lens of, oh, well, it's not as good as it as it can be? Yeah, I think yeah, I'm very self-critical, um, and I always think there's room to push it. There are works I look back on they and they do inform me, and I think that was a that was a pivotal moment. That work, mm. that work. Now, what is it about that one that that is really something? Um, to me, and I tend to use the, those moments and, and refer back to them from time to time. Not you don't want to be enslaved by your past. You want to continue to open up your vision. Um, and the art world, especially the art market, will um, really they'll be quite strict if you suddenly jump outside what they're used to, and they'll be mm. like, "Oh, no, that's not. I don't. I don't relate that to you. So what are you doing?" So. It's good to continually change, but in in a, a slow fashion, kind of like a snail unfolding. Mm. You know, just continue to to walk your walk, but open up as much as you possibly can. You can become stale. You don't want you don't want to be sick of your own, um, for one of a better word, style. I think style is not a great word. It's often used, um, but you want to open up. I prefer like visual language. You want to keep it as open as possible. I love it. I love being able to uh, talk to someone who makes me as passionate about a subject as they are. I think that's a very good sign. Oh, um, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I was just going to say we're, we're heading just past 20 minutes, which is roughly how long we like to keep the episode. So um, I think that's probably all we'll have time for today. But thank you very much for the interesting talk. It was, uh, it was definitely eye-opening. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Yeah. I think I'll be able to look at a lot of art with a lot more appreciation now. I think so. And, and the art world is just such a wonderful place to, to go and lose yourself. Fantastic. Right. Thank you very much. All right, Sam. Thank you.